Gopher fans, it's Phil Mackey here with a question for you business owners specifically. Have you ever had an insurance claim that left you feeling like you got sacked in the end zone? When something bad happens to the company you built with your blood, sweat, and tears, you don't want to be left sitting on the sidelines waiting to get back in the game. You want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Your local federated representative is ready to create a custom playbook of specialty insurance products and risk management strategies for you. Federated Insurance. It's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Snare drum time means Score North Gopher Show time. Thank you for finding this pod wherever it is that you do so via Apple, Spotify, or the free Score North mobile app. We certainly do appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind giving us a great review on the Apple machine, boy, we would certainly love that. And when I say we, I mean myself, Ross Brendel, at Brendel Ross on the Twitter machine. James Murphy joins me at Murph underscore MN on Twitter. And Mr. Daniel House at Daniel House. NFL on Twitter. Boys, good to hear from you both. I almost said all of you, but I think you both qualifies. That works. You know, honestly, we take any review. We take a good review. We yeah. take a great review. Would we take a bad review? Well, we have to. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we, we're we, not obligated. I mean, we are obligated to take all reviews. So we'll we'll take what you get, I guess. I mean, we got housey. Nobody is going to give us a bad review That's of this fair. podcast with Mr. Daniel House. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing well. You're way too kind there. We we need your feedback, people. We want to hear it, so send some reviews and, and let us know what you like. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Name that movie. I don't know. Anybody? House? You got this? I have no idea. I'm the Wetmore of movies. I okay. Mean, wow, that's... That's unfortunate because he hasn't seen anything. I mean, he just saw the what the Big Lebowski this week. Yes. Has he seen? Has he done um, my personal favorite Major League yet? Because I've been kind of waiting for him to do that one. And he said when he said he's never seen that. I I just because everyone's seen that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Housey, have you seen Major League? I have never watched. Wow. It. <laughs> never mind. I guess we're, I guess we'll have to do our own initiation here. Well, I think we're trying to save that one. We'd like to do that with a bunch of listeners. And, of course, my primary job is promotions guy, so maybe I'll get on that and maybe, actually, I mean. <laughs> actually get that set up. <laughs> I used to work with a gentleman in my South Dakota days. He would always say, let's get down to business and brass tacks, which for the Score North Gophers show right now, believe it or not, we've segued from football for the most part to go for basketball and the Gophers most recently come up short at East Lansing taking on Michigan State. I'll start with House. House, this game to me kind of followed what's been the mold for most Gopher losses where they, I say most, not all, they looked pretty good in the first half. They looked competitive and the second half not so much out in East Lansing. No, the backcourt was the big difference in this game. I felt like if Gabe Kelsher could hit a couple shots and get in a groove, that they maybe had a shot in the first half. The way that they played in the final few minutes of the first half, they were more active on defense, and Oturu was getting touches. I just feel like Oturu has to be more involved in the offense, getting touches almost every possession, just because of how efficient he plays and how valuable uh, he is for, for the squad. 
When I look at Oturu, what you just said, Daniel, that resonates to me the most. It it almost seems almost impossible that you could go possessions without him touching the ball. Doesn't it automatically, at least once a possession, have to go down low? I mean, you can defend to stop it, but it's almost impossible to stop because of his size. Well, yeah, I mean, and then you get that inside-out ball reversal. And the Gophers right now just didn't have the depth to match up with Michigan State, especially when Carr picked up his fourth foul with like 18 minutes left in the game. That changed everything. And Peyton Willis is trying to ease his way back from injury. And they just don't have a lot of depth at the guard spot. So with this backcourt, it kind of holds the keys to how far this team can go and whether they're able to win enough games to get themselves in the tournament conversation. Boys, what do you think was like the major differences that you noticed in between half number one and half number two? Because what I what I saw in half number one was the Gophers really staying with Michigan State. They even found themselves with le- leads, I believe, uh, with with five minutes, four minutes to go. They did have a two point lead. Uh, they end up just trailing by four at halftime. So definitely in that game, and then definitely a tale of two halves where Michigan kind of Michigan State ends up really taking control, especially towards the end of that second half. What what did you see, guys see that was that was really different between how the Gophers played in the first half versus the second half? We'll start with Ross. In my opinion, it's just what we've seen so far in the Big Ten from most teams, not just the Gophers. This is an incredibly tough conference to win on the road. I was very encouraged by the first half, but it was guarded optimism because all game long it kind of just felt like, Eventually, this is a kind of a dumb observation, but I truly believe this. At some point, it just felt like the momentum train of being the home team was going to kick in. And it always felt like that was going to be the second half for Michigan State. And some of those hustle plays that kind of went the Gophers way in the first half didn't quite go their way in the second half. Shots dried up a little bit. One thing I want to spend a, a little bit of time on, I'll let House get to your question. But circling back to House's previous point, I think there's too many possessions where it didn't feel like Kalsher was getting good looks or even that the ball was going through Mr. Oturu. And when that doesn't happen, I think that that's that's just a failed possession. Well, I just think that the offense looked like it wasn't moving as swiftly because Carr wasn't in the game directing and being able to dribble, penetrate, create shots. You could definitely see when he returned with about 11 minutes left how much better the ball movement was. And when he's not in the game, that's exactly when you want to get Oturu touches because it stretches the defense. And I just thought that overall they maybe looked a little bit fatigued down at the stretch in this one. It, it just felt like Michigan State was getting every single loose ball. Rebounding started to lapse. It just the body language of the team over the last six minutes of the game just, just wasn't very, very uh, strong. You know, guys, and one thing I, I didn't really notice until I just looked at this at this box score, three points from the from the bench in this game, and that's more of a mm-hmm. not a detriment on the bench itself. But when you put all of your scores in the starting lineup, and I mean, I guess w- Trey Williams ha- has been in the starting lineup as of late until until uh, this game when I believe Peyton Willis did start. But when you have all of your scores in the starting lineup and, and your your bench is consisting of guys like Michael Hurt and Omersa and, and Williams, I mean, Williams has been I, – William, I've, I've liked what I've seen early of him this year. But when you're only getting three points from your bench, 
that's just saying to me that you need to change things up with how your exactly how your your rotations are because you can't have that in in a Big Ten game like this where Michigan State's going to get scoring from all over. Yeah, and if you don't get any backcourt scoring, you're in trouble with this team because Carr hits the bench and. What are you going to do after that? You've got to shake it up. Willis is taking the ball more. Then you're down to Greenlee off the bench, and he hasn't had much experience. He's a freshman. So, again, yeah, the depth seems to be a problem. I look at this team, and I was talking to somebody about it last night. It just always feels like there's one piece missing every single year. Like there's not a complete season where you're like, okay, they've got the bigs now. They're able to rebound the basketball. Then they don't have the guards. Then they, they get the guards, and then they maybe just don't have enough depth in the back end. Like, there's always seems to be one little hole in trying to com- construct this roster and make it more complete. Don't you feel like this team, though, Daniel, can become that more complete team? But the reality is that's not going to be this year. It's going to be next year and maybe the following year. The the appeal to this team for me is it's still fairly I know you're getting contributions from some upperclassmen and some transfers, but the core of this team is still a younger roster. And again, it's the two names that we mentioned. It's Kalsher and Oturu. I, I feel like in time this team can develop into that, but then it's it's kind of funny to think about as this team develops into that, hopefully if Oturu stays, you're talking like years eight and nine of Richard Pitino. That's incredible. Well, yeah. That's incredible to think about at this point. And if Oturu leaves, then you're in that position again where you have another missing piece. Like last year, Coffee leaves. And now if Oturu leaves, you're in that position where you're, you're trying to patch a few holes here and there again. So hopefully I do like the construction of this roster, though. I like the identity of the group being able to shoot more jumpers, be a shooting team. Uh, And honestly, from a rebounding standpoint, I thought that they have exceeded my expectations a little bit in that category. I was worried about this group being able to rebound and and stay in games. It got a little bit lethargic at the end last night, but I think that's truly due to fatigue. I mean, some of these guys, all the minutes that they're playing and a limited bench output, it puts a big strain on on the starters that are out on the floor for a high volume of, of time. I know it's fairly early in the season. The 15 games have gone. The team still has 15 games to go, 8 and 7. But I think it's a compliment to the coach and the coaching staff. I noted this last night, and it's from pretty much, I've seen bits and pieces of almost every game to every game in its entirety. I feel like this team plays really hard for the coaching staff. And I I think that that shows even in, in a game last night where you're not the most talented team on the floor. Yeah, and I like some of the contributions of like Ali and Demir. I think him, the way he can cut, uh, he's able to play very active defense and get block shots and some steals, and he's adjusting to the Big Ten level, and he's going to be a contributor for this team as they try to pick up more quality wins. I think the big key, like we keep coming back to, is they need one player to kind of break out in the backcourt and give them just a couple minutes, maybe – mess with the rotations a little bit like Murph said you maybe just put a contributor from the starting lineup into that bench role to help you know provide some more depth and and contributing people to that rotation and I I agree with you the only thing that that's different I think with this team is if if you if you will compare it to something that I know a little bit 
more about is like NBA rotations where you are playing like usually 10 guys and maybe nine in, in, you know, in a, in a perfect world, but you do have contributors off the bench scoring off the bench. You compare to like what the Clippers do where they have two of their best players coming off the bench. But if you do that in college, you're still going to end up seeing seeing issues like the Gophers had last night because you're still going to play guys like Kalsher. Kalsher played 37 minutes last night. Even Peyton Willis, 33 minutes. Demir, 34. Oturu, 34. So when you're getting those limited minute numbers from guys off the bench, you're still going to, I think, run into those issues unless you're maybe going to even think about doing something a little crazy like maybe Kalsher off the bench and just, just to give a different look. Yeah, and it's tough because of the whole depth matrix that you have in, in the lineup right now. Is it going to really help you to dash in a few minutes of someone here or there, mix up a rotation? It, it's probably less favorable in, in the college game, like you said, but I, I just see an opportunity for them to continue getting better as the season goes on. This, this squad is still young. They need to learn how to play in some of these games. They competed for one half, and then I felt like the the depth and the premier rotation ability of Michigan State and the high-end talent that they had just took over. Early on, Daniel, you alluded to the NCAA tournament, just things that this team needs to do to have a chance to get there. So I kind of did some quick math earlier today prepping for this uh, big edition of the Score North Gophers show. You did math prep work? I I did. My goodness. I did, which is crazy for a a Lakeville High School alum to even put math in the same sentence. (laughs) Sorry, Lakeville. I loved you. Great school. The Lakeville High School, by the way. None of this North or South stuff. The mm. Lakeville High School. Mm. So right now the team, uh, two and three out of the gate, eight and seven overall, currently 10th in the conference. I mentioned 15 games to go if I tabulated this correctly. I look at it this way, boys. I think we mentioned this. The NCAA tournament it's still possible, but it's going to be tough. I, I think if you can get to somehow, if you work the math, if you can, you got to basically go 10 and 5 from here on out. And that's going to be tough. But I think that gets you to 18 and 12 with some work to do in the Big Ten tournament. Again, we don't know who those wins would come against, but let's just say hypothetically they get to 18 and 12. How, how close do you think that puts them, knowing that right now Joe Lenardi, who's pretty good at this, he doesn't even have the Gophers in the next four out, so he's moved them basically entirely out of the conversation. And there is a site that does do uh, NIT projections. That next one isn't due out until February, so mm-hmm. we'll have to we'll have to bad. we'll have to wait a little bit on that one. But all kidding aside, I, I mentioned this in, in previous shows with you guys. The NIT should never be the hope for the Gopher basketball program, but I do think there are years where it's more acceptable. And I do think that this is one of those years. But again, to get there, you got to be 500 or better. Right now, they're just eight and seven. So, my first point 18 and 12 house, does that get them close to the conversation of being an NCAA tournament team? With the net ranking they are and the quality opponents that they've played, that probably gets them in the conversation. When I look at this, I see them needing to win every single home game they play the rest of the way and then steal two or three road games, and they'll be right at that number that you're discussing. So protecting home court is going to be one of the main reasons why they're able to make an NCAA tournament run. However, with the way that this conference is constructed, the competitive nature of it, every night I watch games and I go, man, Nebraska beats Iowa the other night. 
And that was just a classic Big Ten grinder right at the end. And I look at Rutgers, I look at Penn State, teams like that. Those used to be wins that you could put in the in the column almost before you took the court sometimes. But now those two teams have a ton of depth. They're really well coached. And I see the Gophers really having a difficult road to get to the tournament. However, it comes back to what we said last time we talked. I have always felt like they need to steal two or three road games that maybe they shouldn't win and then continue to play well at home. I think it is worth noting and following up on something that you just said, Daniel, because I had this down in my notes. What type of bizarro world are we living in where the Gophers are, appear to be long shots for the NCAA tournament? But at this point, it seems fairly likely that Rutgers and Penn State will appear in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. First off, that's a testament to those two programs. It's a testament to the Big Ten. But it is... From where I'm sitting, it's just, it's awkward. It's weird. It's weird to put Rutgers and NCAA tournament in the same sentence. Penn State, not so much. They, they've been close, and they've had some years where you felt like they had a good chance to be there. The Rutgers one, to me, uh, what a job they're doing there. Both squads out east. Yeah, it's interesting to see how they've developed their programs, and you see the recruiting starting to pay off, and depth filling their rosters and younger players contributing. They invested in their program for a few years, and now you're starting to see the results. So hats off to them for how well they've been able to orchestrate the the recruiting to get themselves back into relevancy, which is not easy to do in such a competitive conference. Yeah, Michigan, Penn State, and Rutgers, those are your next three games, by the way. So two of those three teams that we were just talking about they're on the schedule, and uh, Michigan, never an easy task. No, and the fact that Daniel brought up needing to win almost every home game, well, your uh, your next three home games, buckle up. It's Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State are your next three home games that you have on the schedule in the month of January. So when when you say that that's the task they need to accomplish to get to this, this 18-win number before the Big Ten tournament, I – you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And I thought after, if you guys remember, after the Purdue game when we did a podcast, I said based on how they played in that game and how they played coming into that game that I thought they were an NCAA tournament team. I think there's a chance they can play like they are and not get there because of the sheer competition that they're going to have to go against. I mean, unless you're going to start winning games on the road where you're not favored, like they do have Ohio State coming up on the road in Rutgers. Those are their next two road games. Unless you're going to be able to to knock those off, like what Daniel said, take at least three, maybe more. I I just don't see a, a way that the Gophers are going to be able to even sniff the tournament at this point, just based on how they've started the the season eight and seven. Well, they're almost going to have to go four and three on the road or, or five and two in that scenario with the home games that they have. Look at their schedule and the way the Big Ten's constructed. It's, it's an uphill climb. Williams Arena. I don't know why. This just popped into my mind. Your thoughts on Williams Arena, just as, as a whole. I, and I don't know where this came from. Something that popped up in the last couple minutes made me think of Williams Arena as a whole, probably when you said they have to win all their home games. Williams I Arena, okay, you love it. To me, this is where this is. I think we're already. It's going to get a little contentious. <laughs> I'd tear it down and build a brand new facility today if there was money in the budget to do it. And may, and maybe there is. I'm not anti it. I just I foresee a day where the the times they are a changing, as Bob Dylan once sang. I, I, at the very least, I think we need to pump some money into a renovation. 
Yeah, I agree. I would say invest in a renovation. Just keep the iconic structure of Williams Arena. I just love going there and watch a game, raised floor, all the history in the building. It's still, when it gets loud in there, it's one of the best venues that I've been to. It's just, it's like kind of magical because of how the, how the ceiling is structured and the sound shoots up. Uh, I, I love that. And I just feel like it's got so much history that they got to find a way to preserve that. I'm with Housey. I, I, I really have enjoyed my time watching Gopher basketball at Williams Arena. And I mean, I, it has a it has a charm that even the national guys when they come in they seem to like it and it, it broadcasts well. It, a lot of people think it's it's you know kind of a it, it might just be more of a more of a shtick thing now with the raised floor and but I I like the tight spaces the the small corridors you even if you're not even that tall you feel like you have to duck when you're when you're entering into the seating area. I don't know it's 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 kind of like Daniel said it's a it's a charm thing and I I while I agree with you Ross that getting a new facility might, you know, increase uh, the, you know, the uh, the room you have to put people and the amount of people you can get to a game. I think for what the Gopher basketball program is right now, I think you keep it. And I, if that means you renovate it or if you do something uh, to maybe modernize it a little bit, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go too far, though. I, I like the, the way it is. Everything you guys said, I can agree with and get behind. Like I, I have I, it's not when I said I'd tear it down today. That's it's a it's a little bit of hyperbole. Sure. But what I'm getting at is I think in the year 2020, I'm not sure some of those things that you mentioned. I don't know how much a 17 year old kid uh, I name the state. I'm not sure how much he cares. But but again, having the glitz and glamour of a new place might not matter. I would argue it kind of does when you talk about what Nebraska's been able to start building for their program. I also think for the from the fan from from a fan perspective, there's far too many places in there when you go to a game. It's a, it's a terrible view with terrible sight lines. Wouldn't you agree though that more than the building itself, that part of the reason that you, if you're using it as recruiting, as I seem that that's how you seem to be using it, is is that it's a place where people would want to play as opposed to the 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 classic Williams Arena. Wouldn't you go more for the atmosphere if you're if you're making your decision based on anything like that? I mean, you're going if you're going to Duke or Michigan State or whatever Kansas, you're you're going partially based on the atmosphere that home games provide and just the attention that the program gets. Oh sure, well, and I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth on this well, one, which yeah. I, which I'm very good at doing. <laughs> I say this all the time with the football program, and we've we've talked about this uh, so many times. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but you know my thoughts. Don't don't sell to a recruit what you don't have. You should be selling selling what you do have. I, we don't need to spend minutes upon minutes on this. It just popped into my head, and it's a, well. Yeah, it's now a, you got us fired up. Yeah, it's a great thing to do, and I'm outnumbered, so I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> no, um, in all honesty, I, I I do love Williams Arena myself. I just I'm. It's been talked about it, For over sure. there, and, and same For sure. same with same with Mariucci about changes that they may that they may make there, and. Uh, the, I just I feel like the days coming at bare minimum for some type of renovation, which I which I believe is needed. I don't know if they'll ever truly truly leave it. That becomes another issue. If they did, where would they put it? And again, at least I'm not in charge of those decisions because those are tough decisions, and I don't <laughs> like making those. Housey, you want to talk a little bit of football before we get out of here? I'm always down to talk football. You know that. Well, let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad. <laughs> 
let's go for it. You know, that's one of your that's one of our favorite moments on the show. Jaguars practice squad. Donnell Green. Is he even still there? Do we know? Do do we have any indication? Uh, you know, honestly, I haven't kept tabs. No, it's shocking. <laughs> doing a better job. No, you shouldn't. That's I, that. You can leave him alone. That's I fine. actually am shocked that you wouldn't be up to date on the practice squad. I'm, I'm not joking. I'm mildly shocked. No. <laughs> see, see, they they change those so often, though. Guys get cut and released. Yes, they, they do. Barely keep up with the Vikings practice. Squad. Vikings made a move off the practice squad today in preparation for a playoff game. I didn't catch that. What was Terrifying. That? What was that? Eight meters, man. Pick six in the preseason. I don't. I, I don't know who that is. That's okay. Is he? Is he going to actually see some playing time? I don't want to start the scoring off uh, Viking show, but we like no, to call Purple he, Daily. He won't. <laughs> he won't see any playing time because they're going to be in twenty-one personnel the whole game, so they're going to be in base defense. And when they are, they're probably going to have Sandejo out there and nickel, just like last time. I'm going to hijack a little bit, Daniel. Can can we talk a little bit about this game coming up? Because I do kind of I, I want to get your opinion on on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we do it from time to time. We've done it in the past, but can you give us just some brief thoughts about uh, this big game tomorrow? Which we're we're recording this on a on a Friday, in case you're wondering. Uh, tomorrow, Vikings uh, they play three thirty. They go to. San Francisco to play the 49ers in the uh, in the playoffs. So what are your what are your thoughts on that game, Daniel? Well, I think the pass rush is going to be the key. Watching all 22 of the 49ers, I see how teams have schemed them with stunts and different blitzes, exotic fronts, throwing different wrinkles at them. And Jimmy G, when the pocket's pushed, he's, his numbers and production go down significantly. So the big key for the Vikings defense is keeping tabs of Kittle and Juszczyk. They use those two so interchangeably. They'll mix things up. They'll, you know, use motion and have play action onto it. And Kittle will slide out and leak out into the flat. And then they'll rotate and shift those two players and they'll swap roles. And there's just so many creative wrinkles that Kyle Shanahan will throw at the Vikings defense. But Zim's going to have his creativity on display. So it's going to be a chess match between those two. I look at some of the, the, the matchups in this game. They're very similar teams. They're built off the wide zone blocking scheme, and they're heavy play action squads. So one of the big differences in this game is going to be how the Vikings can control their weapons. If you know San Francisco is going to be in 21 personnel with a fullback most of the game, so the Vikings will probably be in base defense more frequently, which fits the mold of what's going on with their secondary, all the injuries that they have. So being able to have three linebackers on the field with Kendricks, Barr, and Wilson, I like that matchup better than I did last week against a team that's going to spread the field and have you in nickel for a high volume of the game. So matchup's intriguing. I think it's going to be closer than people think. You know who would fit well on the Niners or Vikings? A perfect football player for this game specifically. Hmm. Antoine Winfield Jr. Oh, yeah. And Good segue. He, and sure. he may have that opportunity to play in a game like this next year because he, no surprise to any of us, no. is off to the NFL. How is, I, I think this is the smart decision. I think it's the right decision. I'm really looking forward to watching him play on Sundays. When Blake Cashman, I, what different scenario, but Blake Cashman, I told you guys, I said he's going to make a team in the NFL really happy. And I think so far through one year, he's done that with the Jets. I think Antoine Winfield is going to make a team very happy, and I think that's probably going to be somewhere in the third or fourth round. That's just my guess at this point. 
Your thoughts, Mr. Daniel House, on Antoine Winfield Jr. off to the NFL? He's going to be a really good NFL player with that versatility. You can use him at safety, can play nickel. He probably could line up at corner if he needed it. That's going to be such an asset. His ball skills are probably his best trait. You saw that this year with seven interceptions and leading the team in tackles. You can move him in the box. You can have him play the deep half. He'd be a perfect, like, dime player where he's able to play kind of that hybrid safety linebacker role in a defense. So with the decision to go pro, he feels like a third or fourth round pick right now, like you said, but how does he test? I don't think people really know athletically what his numbers are going to be like. So that's going to be really important to dictate if he can move maybe a round up and improve his stock is going to be kind of dictated on that. You kind of mentioned it, Daniel, but I want to get your thoughts. I mean, do you see him in a perfect world? Is he a nickel corner? Is that where a team would most likely look to put him? I mean, to me, just based on his size and his skill that we've seen at the University of Minnesota, that that just kind of is is where I would slot him in. Is it, do you do you agree with me on that one? I think he's going to be in that dime hybrid kind of player where he, he'd be like a Quandre Diggs or someone like that where he can play the, the dime and play safety, linebacker, kind of nickel. It's kind of a hybrid role, you know, playing single high, moving him around into the box, having creativity to use him in different ways. Um, I just like the, the skill set that he provides. I think a lot of teams are going to as well because they can use him in a variety of different ways. Those instincts are what make him really special. You can see that film preparation that, that goes into it when you watch how, you know, you'll see a pre-snap look and, and he'll just read the play before it's even uh, run. So, you know, that that's where I kind of see him falling. But uh, safety, nickel corner, it depends on the type of scheme he gets in. If he's in like a, a cover three heavy team, that's a great fit to be kind of that single high box guy and then in a dime system like Green Bay's would be a perfect fit. And no doubt that I, I think we've all we've all basically agreed that he's going to be a great fit for whatever team does decide to take a chance on him, whether that be in the third round, fourth round, or maybe even a little bit earlier than that. We'll see. But what are the Gophers going to have to do looking forward? Because obviously we expected this to happen, but losing a player of his caliber, especially with exactly what he me- he meant to that defense this year, he was of easily their best player, their most versatile player. And he seemed to always make the big plays, no matter what that was, if that was a big tackle, if that was an interception in, in the game winning one that we've saw, you know, that we see against Fresno state earlier in the year, but he always seemed to be there when the golfers needed him. Uh, what are they going to look for for next year to really not fill his shoes? Because I don't know if you can even do that, but just have that kind of energy that he played with, on the defense all year, all year long. Well, it's impossible to replace it. Uh, that's going to be the biggest X factor heading into the off season is how do you fill the shoes of Winfield and, and you don't, but you start to find people who can fill that role with versatility. Tyler Newbin was a top recruit in the last cycle has been developing. We saw some flashes with him. He's a fantastic athlete. He tested really well. And he's going to be someone that can slide into that role. It might take a little bit of time but uh, and reps, but he's going to be someone that definitely uh, is able to fill those shoes in the future. But early on, you see the defense. Every level, Carter Coughlin, you got to replace that. you got to replace uh, Barber and Kamal Martin, and then you get back in the back half, and you've got Winfield. So 
there'll be new faces at each level, which is going to impact the continuity of the group, which I thought was one of the big assets, the communication, the pre-snap stuff that, that made that group really play as one. However, the cornerback position, there's a lot coming back there. Um, so filling in on the defensive line and then, and then dashing in in the second level, which was an emphasis in the last two recruiting cycles, the most recent one, and then last year's. So they're, they're ready. They're prepared. They've invested a lot of resources into the defense, but it could take some time to uh, get them used to playing and get an experience with more reps. Golden Gophers in Florida Atlantic. It's right around the corner. Jeez. We'll be previewing it before you know it, and I inevitably will be terrified that we won't be able to cover anybody against no, a team that scored a bunch of points. No Lane Kiffin, though. That's unfortunate. Well, yeah. <laughs> Lane and Leach in the SEC. That could be an entirely different podcast. Boys, are you ready for your Jack's Pizza hot tip as we get out of here? Wow. Uh, yes. Daniel, I think you're born ready for this. I'm born ready, and we need that sponsorship deal. How do you guys – we'll tag them. How do you guys feel about – I don't know if you've ever had it. I was ecstatic to find it at Hy-Vee earlier this week, the Chicken Supreme Jack's Pizza. Have you ever had this? No. Oh, get to your local Hy-Vee if you got one. I haven't either, to be honest. It's, I, it's basically – it's your normal Supreme Pizza that they already have with chicken. It's fantastic. Really? Is it your favorite? Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's a good, tasty delight for a changeup and a mix-up. That's the biggest thing I think with Jacks is because you, you might be you, Ross's you, dinner. You can't fall into a pattern, I think. And I've been I've been very close with because my personal favorite's the the Mexican one, and I sometimes fall into a pattern where I have it like three or four times in a row, and then I realize I probably got to get something else in, in the at least in the rotation. How's your thoughts? I am the I'm the most boring Jack's pizza guy. I'm the straight pepperoni and then you blend in some classic supreme pizza. I don't get all exotic with my pizza. Maybe like a chicken alfredo if I'm ordering like a Domino's or something, but I'm telling you, it's the straight pepperoni that's clutch at twenty three minutes, folks. <laughs> what's the what's the um what's the the manufactured uh recommended cooking time? Is I think it, it's like fifteen I think it's like thirteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sorry it, it it tastes good and i know i want followers to try it and send me a photo tag me in it and let's see what you think of it after their house is is saved by firefighters <laughs> you mean i'll say this send in hashtag house jacks please i'm ready <laughs> i'll say this what makes any jacks pizza and i guess this is a little bit of a slight at them at the same time is when you put your own shredded cheese on I top of it. I was it. just going to yep. ask if you guys do that. Yeah, you add a little bit extra and browns it up. Because in all honesty, I, I even complained to them one time on Twitter and they sent me a bunch of pizzas. Have you ever had the Jack's Pizza <laughs> where there's like next to zero cheese on it? Uh, I, I usually... I, think I, mean, just, I, I do the same thing, Ross. I add cheese. Daniel, do you ever add extra cheese to your to your Jack's? I do not. No, I You should try that. No, you might have to leave it in for like 25 minutes. Right, something like that. If you know, you're adding a little bit of mass, so, you know, that changes the cooking time of your psychotic pizza. See, I'm looking at oven cooking instructions right now. It says bake for 10 to 18 minutes. I love that. 10 to 18. That's that's such a wide range. I'm going to look at mine tonight and and tweet you. I don't know if it may, they, you, they're probably different for each. I mean, it, depending on if it's a supreme or like just a pepperoni, I'm sure maybe it is a little bit different. I um 
I don't know if we've ever talked about any more important topics than what we're talking about well, right now. we're all really I, engaged, as I you also, can see. I also love it. I hope the listeners appreciate this. We can attack House for many things. He does not get any more passionate than he does about <laughs> cooking pizzas in the oven. You can hear it in his voice. I love it. I love if it. We talk, if we talk Jack's pizza, if we talk desserts, we talk specialty sodas, this is the next Scorn Art Specialty sodas. <laughs> Are you a specialty soda uh, guy? Oh, yeah. Bubble up, man. That's, that's the soda that you've got to get. <laughs> Followers, go get bubble up soda. It will change your life. Let's get out of here. I think we're contractually obligated to be done. Daniel, great to hear from you. We'll talk more uh, gophers and hoops really soon, okay? Hey, thanks for having me. Daniel House at Daniel House NFL. Murph, fantastic stuff as always. It's a Jack's Pizza dinner for me tonight. I'm not going to lie about that. It's a brown paper bag studio dinner for me. That's that's what I have in store in my uh, after my eight-hour shift at the uh, the regular job I get. Six hours of studio time, so let's go. At Murph underscore MN on the Twitter machine, I am at Brendel Ross. Thank you for listening. Please tell a friend. This has been the Score North Gophers Show.